Welcome to the Mending Trauma Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Amy Hoyt, and along with my sister, Lena Hoyt, a licensed marriage and family therapist, we want to help you recover from trauma, whether it's childhood trauma, complex trauma, PTSD, or any other trauma sustained from abuse or narcissistic relationships, we want to help you develop skills and ways that can help you to recover from the symptoms and the effects of trauma. We are so glad you're here. Let's dive in. Hi, Amy here. Are you feeling stuck or overwhelmed by things that pop up in your daily life? And perhaps these are because of past traumas or toxic stress. Have you tried traditional therapy and found that it wasn't enough? I know that was the case for me. That's why we developed the Whole Health Lab. Mini Trauma has put together a program that combines the latest research with proven methods to help you recover from trauma and move forward from these daily stressors and triggers. We use somatic therapy, EMDR, cognitive behavioral therapy, and internal family systems therapy. We use nervous system regulation, and many other tools so that we can combine the best methods that are identified in the research to help you recover without being completely overwhelmed. So you can work on trauma on your own pace, your own time, and still with the mentorship and support of a highly trained certified staff. That's us. No more waiting for appointments or sitting in traffic, driving to see a therapist. With our online program, The Whole Health Lab, you can access it from anywhere, anytime, even on an app. Visit mendingtrauma.com backslash whole health lab and learn more. Get your questions answered. We've got a frequently asked questions section and sign up so that you can have this life-changing program in your world today. Don't let your past hold you back any longer. Take control of your future and we can't wait to see you in the Whole Health Lab. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to the podcast. We are super excited this week. We have a special treat. We are interviewing one of our members of the Whole Health Lab, Siri Hoffman, and she has joined us to talk about her experience of recovering from trauma. So welcome, Siri. Thank you. So I thought we would start with just you talking about what brought you in to a trauma recovery program. Our, our trauma recovery program, what brought you in? Yeah. Um, so I think that when I look back, you know, we can look so much more clearly in, in retrospect, right? And um, I would say that I was probably unaware that, not unaware that trauma existed in my life, in my brain, in my body, in my emotions. Um, that was very clear to me. But I think what I probably didn't quite understand was, well, what will that look like to address? What will that look like in terms of support? What's the community that I need? And that, as much as thinking about that can feel really wonderful, knowing that there's a possible community and resources out there and people like you too that do specifically this, it's kind of like grasping at the unknown, not knowing like, I don't know where to turn to. And even that in itself is an overwhelming mental process. Um, and also, I think I had sort of created a lot of muck and mud and and disclarity. I'm not sure if that's even a concept or a word, but in my own brain, because I was clouded with my relationship with alcohol. And so 
when I started, Amy, having conversations with you as a friend and someone who I knew specialized in drama recovery and the nervous system and the neurology behind that, the science behind that, um, having the conversations with you and your experience in sobriety and the work that you do with people, whether or not alcohol is the piece or it's something else, um, I started to get some understanding of maybe whole health lab. And we talked specifically to this could be that grounding force to help support me through a my journey through sobriety and B therefore finally truly and clearly facing the trauma throughout my lifetime. Yeah. I think, yeah. Beautiful. I think, um, I love, I know our listeners would are probably curious. Can you talk a little bit more about your relationship with alcohol and what, um, what that was like for you? Yeah, it was a slow burn until it wasn't. (laughs) Um, Again, in retrospect, I think the red flags and the writing was on the wall a long time ago. Um, Something that I'm also coming to understand from a different perspective is my, my family history of addiction that is real. And I think I really discounted that. I actually think for so many years, I set myself as separate from, because I was always on the other side. I was always the witness of addiction, the witness of alcohol use and alcoholism. And honestly, the person on the other side, like pulling that other person in particular out. So I had convinced myself this is not something that I struggle with. This is something my family struggles with. I am separate from that. Well, (laughs) I'm not. I do have genetic ties to my family. And so I think that understanding a little bit of my genetic sort of this, this tie to addiction and alcoholism, not that it takes the pressure off, but it gives me a better understanding of how my own process developed slowly over time. And I think that I would describe myself as a person as I certainly have aspects of of an addictive personality, but I was able to channel that and control it (laughs) in different ways and forms throughout my lifetime, throughout the different phases of my life. Now, fast forward, heading into my late twenties, into my thirties, having three children, career, throw a pandemic in there, throw just all of life's challenges in there. And as someone also who is seriously and and deeply empathetic, I've always found I carried the weight of not only myself, but my children, my people, my partner, my friends, the world on my shoulders. And so I think what subconsciously was happening, happening was that alcohol was very quickly becoming a tool to feel less And that maybe that is what I needed at the time. I'm certainly not excusing my choices, but it was a survival tool. And so it started snowballing and I, I knew, and I would say, you know, it just like, even over the last few years, when I truly look back, my relationship with alcohol, I became very partnered with alcohol. It became very comfortable and it became consistent. 
and it became like, it tried to convince me that it was my, like my pal, you know, like I'm here for you as is our society and our culture. It's everywhere. It's sickening now seeing it on the other side, being sober and looking thing. Oh my God. Like how brainwashed are so many of us into thinking that we need this. We need this substance to care for ourselves when it's in fact ass backwards. And so as sort of things became untethered, as the pandemic was, we were all in that, as my kids were home, as I had to push pause on my career of body work and teaching yoga, which is something that is hugely important to my soul. And I really lost myself. And again, I just remember this one day, honestly, to be very honest, being in my basement, standing next to my fridge, drinking out of a wine bottle, taking a break from my children and knowing in my head, literally having the conversation, Siri, this is a problem. The next conversation, you're just, you do everything else well, Siri, you do all the right things. So let this be the one thing that you give yourself. Yes. Well, you know, you said something super interesting a few minutes ago when you talked about you, you're not using it as an excuse. Like it became your pal and your biggest supporter. What I like to do with our clients is distinguish between an excuse and an explanation. And an excuse is, it's not my fault. I'm addicted. An explanation is, oh my gosh, I realized I was using it in this way and that woke me up. That's not an excuse. That's an explanation. Yeah, and I think that's spot on, Lena. The other thing I was noting as you were talking, Siri, is we just so know through the research that addiction in any form is self-medication for trauma. And particularly substance abuse is linked with trauma and um, in the literature. And so it absolutely is a survival mechanism. And for that, I, you know, I've done a lot of work around this as well, as you know, and for that, I feel so grateful because the other choice for me was suicide, which I did attempt. And so in that case, when we're talking about addiction to, to numb us from feeling all those yucky feelings that come with remembering the traumas. Um, I would take addiction any day over not living anymore. And so in that sense, it's a, it's a service, right? It performed what we needed it to do in order to keep us alive. And again, it's context, right? But it did what it needed to do until we could start working on the root cause, if you will. Absolutely. Yeah. Wendy, um, I, I don't know if you've ever been on community connection with Wendy before when she's talked about how everything that got us to this point was essential for our survival and that we are miracles. Like you're a miracle because you made it through. You did what you had the capacity to do at the time and when your awareness became more enhanced, you were able to make some different choices. And it's that, it's that benevolent, benevolent curiosity that you both speak to so much. And it's, it's, and, in, and just even that recognizing it as that, that's that survival piece, like what was necessary, those things we may not be proud of. We may look back and say, 
wow, like I wish I could have had the capacity to choose differently, but then meeting ourselves with compassion and empathy to say, but I couldn't at that moment until I now know better. That's right. And so one of the things, you know, I've heard people ask is, well, does that mean everything you did during that time you don't have to take responsibility for? And I always come back with, no, I still had to go make amends and take responsibility for my behavior. It's just, it can, when you understand the dynamic of trauma and numbing ourselves from trauma through addiction, you understand that it's context, it's information. Um, And so we can take shame out of the equation. And once I we can take shame out of the equation, then we can go and make amends, right? Um, I still have to take responsibility when I'm, you know, when I was doing all the shenanigans I was doing and hurting people left and right. Um, But I don't need to feel like at the core, I am a rotten person. And that's what shame does. I would love, Siri, for you to talk about um, kind of when you got into the whole health lab, what was that process like for you being in the whole health lab? What, what did that, what, what did you experience going through the program? So it's fun. As you asked that question, the first thing that came to mind was it was like coming home, like coming home to myself and also being enveloped by an incredibly loving and intelligent community you know, and, and why I say intelligent and loving community, because there's clearly so much, so much support. And it felt like, I felt like I was held. I felt like I was held by the two of you and of Wendy and then the other people also in the whole health lab. And, and also it didn't matter the capacity of how I knew, like I, I did, Amy's the only person that I've known personally prior to my experience in the whole health lab. But it just, it was so clear that everyone was just meeting each other where they were at and holding themselves and each other with, with compassion. And if we as individuals started feeling like we couldn't hold it for ourselves, it was there for us and it's still, and it always is. And to lean on that. And then the intelligence piece is, okay, so it's the supportive container of empathy, of love, of compassion. The intelligence piece is that then it's, it's information, it's tools, it's science, it's, it's neurology. And that is where so much of the empowerment piece comes in. And so much of that starting to learn. And I certainly have, have worked within the whole health lab at my own pace. There are some times where I dig in a little bit more, whether that's independently, sometimes I am, I'm part of the community connection. EMDR is something that I truly try not to miss because that is incredibly amazing. Um, But it's just like, some of those pieces in terms of just understanding trauma, understanding our nervous system. It's some of those pieces are like, Oh my, yes. Like, duh. But then also so many aha moments of, Oh my gosh, that makes so much sense. And it's so it's empowering, I think individually and it's empowering collectively because it's again, it's like all an explanation to, oh my gosh, when I think back to that choice that I made or those memories that I lost or having an understanding of why and what our brain, it's, it's both, it's not letting us off the hook. It's empowering us in our experiences. Again, not an excuse, an explanation and information. 
I love that. I love that you've experienced being held and a safe container. And I really appreciate that you were able to point out that even when you couldn't hold um, compassion for yourself, you're able to find it within the community or within the work that we do. Can you talk about your experience with EMDR, Siri? Because you mentioned how impactful that was for you. Yeah. So EMDR was something I, I sort of knew of in like a far off land, but nothing I had ever done, experienced personally, or really knew that much about. Um, and, you know, I've heard like different people in my life sort of mention it, but I, and I always was like, it's not that I, that rapid eye movement, you know, <laughs> just sort of like, okay, that sounds interesting. And it was never that I was opposed or it wasn't for me. It just never showed up in a way that I had access to or that I was aware that I had access to and to be guided correctly. Obviously, it's not something that you just research and try to do on your own. You have, there's a process, right? That you have to, that has to be facilitated. Um, and I think that's what you, you two and Wendy do so beautifully is the way you facilitate everything that is offered. Um, so I've, I've been sort of in and out of talk therapy throughout my life, different times. And um, talk therapy, I think, can be really powerful for specific things. I think it can be really effective. Um, and then I think there are some times where I felt like I was like a dog chasing its tail. Like, okay, this is great. And it feels good in some senses to talk things through. And sort of that has its own sense of release. But then it was like, but I'm right back at the beginning of my own circle. Um again, not at all to discredit talk therapy. Like there's so many different forms of therapy and they're all valid and they're all wonderful for their own ways. But EMDR, it was, I think the, the first time and I have, I don't have it in front of me, but I have my drawings. And I remember being like, all right, I'm totally open to this. Am I doing this right? Am I doing this right? Am I doing this right? And then Lena would constantly say like, your brain knows what to do. Like, don't, overthink, just let what, you know, and it's just, again, that giving permission to just to translate exactly what's happening, what we're experiencing onto paper or into words or into drawings and, um, and just really shelving the no right or wrong way. Don't overthink this. Just let like, it's, it's an amazing practice in being present when you choose to be, um, and then just what was so wild is just being an observer of what things were coming up and what I was feeling in my body. Um, that was quite fascinating. And just the way that the memories were translating on paper or the words that were coming up or the feelings that were coming up or something that I literally had completely forgotten until that very moment that just pops into my brain. It's just, it's incredibly somatically powerful because um, it's really connect. And I'm such a visual and somatic person. So that's why I think EMDR, I actually really resonate with because it's so specific to those things, I think in my personal experience. Um, and then I just, I think every time, and I don't even know if I can explain why, I mean, I know you could probably, you both could probably explain why, because it's what EMDR is, but is at the end of each session, it's like, <sighs> there's just, it's like a deep breath of the soul. <laughs> I know that sounds crazy. I actually remember your very first EMDR. 
I remember your images were so fascinating for what they represented. Yeah. And, and I was blown away by where your mind went and how it, um, and I think it's because you were open to the process, how your mind went, what direction it went in and the things that were revealed through like symbolism and that kind of thing. I was, I totally remember your first session. Siri, how is your life different now? Talk to us about what, how, what is going on with your life that you notice? Cause the brain, you know, of course is not very good at noticing progress, but since we've been, <laughs> since we've been focusing, and that's one of the challenges, of course, with with the recovery journey with trauma is sometimes it is can be gradual and we don't notice necessarily. But since we've been focusing on kind of um, what brought you in and some of the pain that was happening um, when you first started, what is your life like now, and um, how how is your life different? I think. One thing that's been beautiful to recognize and to honor is that it's not the the healing process, working through trauma is not linear, (laughs) not linear. And maybe that's why our brain doesn't recognize progress well, because it's not linear. Um, Yeah. Uh, I think that, so for me, what I had to remove, obviously from my life was alcohol. Right. I had to like consciously choose to step into sobriety. So that for me was like the greatest step, the biggest step, the most important and necessary one. I had to like, that was the largest obstacle that I had to be like, okay, I have to set that aside and keep it aside. And that can stay over here for for the rest of time. Um, But then it's not that oh, I'm going to remove alcohol from my life and things will be fine. (laughs) Like that, it's not the alcohol that's the trauma embedded in my cells and my brain. It's not the alcohol that is why I need to heal. The alcohol that needs to be removed so that I can more clearly start to visit and stir up my experiences with trauma so that I can more clearly with better intention and better capacity for learning address the tools that I need to address and be on and in the healing process, if that makes sense. So it was like choosing to be sober, step one. Yes. Step two through eternity (laughs) is is in front of you because it's never ending. There's no, I think the other is like, there's no place to arrive to. Yes. And I say that a lot as a yoga teacher, there's no, there's no pose that we're looking to arrive into. We're not like, Oh, I've arrived here in my practice. Like dust myself off. Like I'm, I'm good. I've got this. No, it's this, it's this constant circular dynamic fluid and, and like, there are going to continue to be a lot of challenges. And that's the thing, as I've chosen this healing process, there are some really fucking hard things to face because I'm, I have created space to start to come head to head with that. But it's now understanding, like, I have everything that I need in my body, my brain and my heart I have all the capacity necessary to heal. 
to work through this trauma, it's going to be hard. Like, but also nothing worthwhile is not hard. Like it's, it's going to be work, but what a gift to be able to stand and be with myself in mental clarity without alcohol in my life to work through this and to better get to know myself. And, and then to also, as it has continued, as like, as I have continued in the whole health lab, as I've continued in my sobriety, I, I just have more at my fingertips when I come between a rock and a hard place with myself rather than going into complete paralysis, which sometimes still happens. But again, it's that I'm going to pause, like, how do I need to meet myself right now? Right? Like, That's what is a, a tool great... that I can, yeah, like, how do I need to meet myself right now? And great how, how do I need to show up for myself right now? What do I need to pull out of my toolbox? It's not going to be alcohol. It's not going to be, you know, any kind of numbing behavior that will have a consequence that will, that will just set me right back. And that, that I think has been sort of the, the process. And so where that has allowed me to be now is a, just unbelievably grateful. Like I just, I have so much gratitude, particularly I think recently as we're heading into the holiday season, which can be extremely overwhelming and so challenging um, and heavy and layered and just this gratitude for, for knowing myself that much better. And I always, as a person who claimed to like know myself pretty inside and out and now to be like increasing that level of connection to, to me. And then what then that does is that has a ripple effect. It, it, it directly affects my ability to connect to my husband and to my children and to everyone around me because I'm doing the work. Amy and I were talking about um, the concept of we continue to work on this and learn and grow yesterday. And the, the thing that was really striking is that in our conversation, Amy brought up that it's, you're, we're not looking to arrive somewhere. And if that's what we're looking for, we're going to miss the point. And the ability to have clarity and to do the work necessary to have a calm nervous system so that we have more enjoyable and significant connections. We're going to go through life anyway, and we're going to have really challenging things anyway. And I would much rather do it from a place of nervous system regulation and more clarity than in a fog. And I was just, as you were speaking, you know, I just kept thinking about this last year for you and um, your growth. And you've always been incredibly self-aware, incredibly empathetic, as you've said, and compassionate. And um, it's been so delightful to watch you grow more and more and to dig deeper into um, meeting yourself authentically um, and it's just been, I've just been, I just feel really grateful that I've been able to have a, you know, a very close view of, of your journey. And I'm just really grateful for what you've brought to my life. Um, 
And I just want you to know how, what a wonderful experience it's been for me to help coach you through this. It's just been one of the highlights of my year, truly. It's a real honor to do this work with people, to assist them in finding ways to notice without judgment what's happening for them and um, to find a way to help them make sense of all the things, all the behaviors, all the symptoms. It's just really humbling, I think, to do this work. And I think because we're also wounded healers, Lena and I, um, it's just, I think it's just so um, very touching for me to see other people on the same journey. It helps me not feel so alone. I mean, you know, we always joke, we're just, you know, a couple years ahead of the people we're helping, you know, we, you know, it's just maybe a few certifications as well, but (laughs) you know, it's just, we're just reaching back from what we've learned. And, um, it's, it's just that community is really, it's so powerful. And I am a person who resisted being vulnerable in community and it's still really tricky to be vulnerable. Right. Um, I think that's a lot of us highly sensitive people. We, we want to mask that cause it's painful. Um, but building that community and being part of that community and having you a part of that community has been just really wonderful. And I, I so appreciate your willingness to be vulnerable and to share your experience. It's my pleasure. And, you know, it's one of the worst feelings, and I think it's far too common right now, is being constantly surrounded by people but feeling completely alone, right? And life can be that way. Sobriety can be that way. Healing can be that way. But it doesn't. Well, Siri, thank you so much for joining us. I am in awe of you and your willingness to grow. And, and thank you for being open and thoughtful about your experience and being willing to share that with us and with our listeners. We really appreciate it. It's again, my pleasure. And I just have such gratitude for both of you and Wendy, just for creating this incredible container that is so necessary. And just for, for, being, you know, examples of wounded healers, of healing yourself, of doing the work yourself. You know, we see that as in the community of the whole hall we see you two doing the work, Wendy doing the work. And that that's inspiring. And it's important because it's like, we kind of have that like dangling carrot and we're see, we see you in it. You know, you don't, you you guys haven't arrived anywhere. You may be steps ahead on your own journeys, but you're, you're, you're coming to us from your own beautiful independent experiences and what you have to offer all of us is just invaluable. And I just, I'm so grateful. Thank you. Thank you. And thank you all for joining us this week. We look forward to being with you next week. Take care, everybody. Thanks for listening to this week's episode of the Mending Trauma Podcast. Lane and I are really grateful that you spend time with us each week. We know you have a choice and that time is currency. We would love if you would share this episode on social media and tag us so we can reshare. If you feel so inclined, go and give us a five-star review wherever you listen to pods so that we can get the word out and help more people. We know that we are all working hard on our mental health and we wish you great success this week in implementing these new skills. We'll check in next week.